0: back everybody. This is the Tattoos with Intention podcast. I'm your host Mark Nara, and in this episode we have a very special guest. He's the first person from outside of the tattoo sphere that's going to be giving us some insight and some information in regards to the bigger circle that tattoo is a part of when you start participating in it in a very intentional way. Uh, I'll introduce him in just a minute. Before I do that, I just want to say that there is still time and room to get involved uh, and to enroll in the seven principles of tattoo philosophy course that I'll be running. It starts on the 27th of September. It's going to run for 10 weeks and it is a massive, process uh not to be taken lightly it is an initiation of sorts for sure so it's an act or an educational process that's going to introduce you into a very new way of receiving your tattoos of perceiving tattoos uh, generally and globally from when you walk out of the other side of the course Um, and in the same way it's going to to induct you into a community uh, in fact tattoo pathway t-a-t-u pathway.com um, is the private community space that was born out of the first course um, and is already proving to be an amazing tool and benefit for anyone that's within it holding people's process giving them accountability uh, with what it is that they're locking into their tattoos and why they're marking themselves in the first place. And I feel it's going to be one of the, one of the beautiful jewels that uh, we're going to be able to pass on to the next generation as well. So head over and join that community, just request access um, and you can come on in and, and see what's, what's going on there, what conversations we're having and feel out whether you want to get involved in this coursework now or if it's something you want to shoot for um you're all welcome and i I definitely encourage it so in this week this this week's episode uh we're chatting with a gentleman who i was lucky enough to jump on his his podcast a little while back the Rising Man podcast so his name is Jetty Azuma he's the host of the Rising Man podcast which is in the top 150 educational podcasts he's also the creator of the Rising Man movement and jedi has been in the field of men's leadership and empowerment for the past 10 years as a rites of passage guide mentor and leadership coach, Jetty's impacted the lives of hundreds of men on his mission to initiate an entire generation of men into power and purpose-driven service to the world. He is a founding father of the Conscious Man Brotherhood and a lead coach in the man cave, Unleash the Beast and King's Court. And despite his many roles and contributions to quote-unquote men's work, uh, Jetty considers his most important job to be that of a father and a husband to quote jedi i always knew i wanted to make a major impact on the world i just had no idea of how that i'd do that in my 20s after numbing myself with substances and fear-based behaviors for years i finally found a path in men's work and rites of passage that fed my soul at that point i knew it was only a matter of time before i would give this medicine back to the men around me now i'm clear that the gift i have for my people is to prepare the next generation of men to lead their families communities and themselves powerfully and confidently into uncertain times beautifully said jetty and without any further ado i'm going to let this conversation roll and i'd love to hear any feedback that you have drop some comments and um yeah share it with your friends I look forward to chatting to you all soon. So, man, I just wanted to start by saying thank you for being on. Yeah, man, honored
1: honored to be here. I look forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, you're going to actually be the first uh, guest on the podcast that's uh, beyond the walls of the actual tattoo world.
1: Ah, cool. Yeah. Another deep honor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's super good. And uh, I've been kind of waiting to step into this arena, you know, like starting to talk about the bigger picture. So not just tattooing, but, you know, what tattooing is a part of that bigger circle that that I feel tattooing is a part of and the people that um, I've been working with also see, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So thank you for being that inaugural person that steps in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, we're going to talk about initiation. We're going to talk about rites of passage, um, accountability, and obviously we'll we'll link tattooing into it. Um, Cool. So thanks for being here, mate. So, I mean, the first... The first thing I want to talk about is initiation, um, which you, you know a lot about since you take a lot of men through it yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're the you're the founder of the Rising Man Movement, as I said in the introduction. And, you know, coming from your, your website, uh, the, the purpose that you guys have there is that the, the mission of the Rising Man Movement is to initiate an entire generation of men. Mm-hmm. Well done, sir. <laughs> That's super good. It's a, it's a, it's a,
1: well, let's let's circle yeah. back in like 50 more years and you can congratulate me then. We got a lot of work to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, but to have that motivation is just, um, you know, very honorable, you know, and you want to create a, a world in which all men are prepared to lead with integrity, uh, express themselves authentically and serve the communities that have raised them. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit, you know, like what's your perspective on initiation in our, like in our modern world, you know, what's that entail for the men that you're working with?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a great question and it's a good place to start too. uh, purely textbook definition of initiation is admission or acceptance into a secret or private society. So it's funny, they use the word secret and private, but if you take those words out, the way I look at it, it's having men who've gone through an experience usually a challenging experience something that uh, a gauntlet or a journey that they have to go through to demonstrate some level of worthiness or ability or readiness to accept a responsibility and then they're inducted into this group organization society by men who've gone through the same thing so initiation is really just an acknowledgement that you are ready to be a part of this community and if we go back far enough into different generations, different cultures, especially traditional peoples, indigenous peoples, initiation was what they did to to identify when a boy was ready to step up and accept the responsibilities of manhood, to be a protector, to be a provider, to be whoever the community needed him to be. And so when we talk about initiation in modern times, most of us, haven't experienced something like that or we've had different versions of a similar idea that aren't quite connected to that foundation of culture that these traditional peoples have and ha- and have had for a long time yeah yeah so you know so so creating those opportunities is so important because when do we know that we are ready to step into manhood is it when I start growing hair on my face is it when I have sex for the first time all of these questions that we have about what does it mean to be a man are not answered because of the absence of initiation in our culture. For most of us, obviously not everybody.
0: Yeah, totally. Or like uh, to to bring up the conversation we had when I was on, on your podcast, you know, I said my initiation into manhood was was becoming a father, right? And I kind of stumbled into that. I, did, I wasn't aware that it was going to be so initiatory, mm-hmm. you know? And I loved that you pulled out those different types of initiation where there's like, natural sort of like built-in initiations that happen you know like uh, i think you said like moving out of home and supporting yourself for the first time and then obviously becoming a father or like having sex for the first time but then there's like more planned uh pathways of initiation which is the type of thing you're curating for men at the moment you know Mm -hmm. um so what what does that look like as a an experience like what would people um expect if they were to be led through an initiatory experience uh, by yourself or by the rising man movement
1: well there's another there's another important term that we've got to define to, to understand this and that's rite of passage so
0: that was next on the list you're a mind perfect. reader
1: well, let's let's <laughs> let's talk about it so that we can so we can really know what we're what we're discussing here yeah so for me a rite of passage is a ritual death and rebirth a ceremonial death and rebirth if you will where we go through a process with intention and purpose of leaving a part of ourselves behind, letting that part of ourselves die, and then allowing new possibilities, new experiences, new insights, new wisdom to be born. And the way I've been taught to understand rites of passage is that there's two stages. The first stage is severance, like severing something, cutting something. So that's like shedding the skin, going through the experience of stirring up all your stuff and then letting go of the things you don't want to carry with you into this new chapter of life. Yeah. The second stage is threshold. So for us, threshold is when you step across the physical and metaphorical threshold into your four days of fasting. And in that space, sometimes we call it the in-between worlds, is where all the magic happens. That's where the medicine comes through, the experience of being alone, being without food, without contact with any other human beings, out under the stars for four days and four nights, provides you with medicine, an experience, a journey, an adventure, insights. You know, If you ever spent four days alone by yourself out in the wilderness with no food and no other distractions, the only outcome is listening to that internal voice that is the deepest core of truth you have. So. Whatever that is, everyone's experience is a little bit different, but whatever that wisdom is, you take that with you, you come back across the threshold, and then for the third stage, which is actually the hardest part, you know, believe mm-hmm. it or not, the hardest part is not going without food or being by yourself for four days, it's taking your experience and incorporating it into your life. So the third stage is called incorporation. And incorporation is just another word that really means embodiment. The Latin, in, in corpus is to bring into the body. So to embody that wisdom, that medicine that you have got in your experience into this life that's waiting for you. So, to meet, to to step across the threshold, there's a part of you that has to be shed, let go of, cleansed, purified. In a lot of these traditional ceremonies of vision quest and omlecha and, and some of these other more traditional ways, there would be a purification process of going through a sweat lodge, going through different types of ceremonies and preparation and then going out into your experience and then being welcomed back, going back into the sweat lodge and, you know, purifying, repurifying yourself as you come back as this new baby, you know, new baby being born into the next chapter of your life that was waiting for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, man. That's beautiful to hear it uh, laid out in that way. I um, I personally have gone through that process with someone here in Australia. The teacher was um, Navajo. So we had the purification aspect there, which was really great. You know, fundamental for sure to like start it. I feel like that was the severance more than anything cause getting in that lodge space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so when you walk people through it, it's like in a, in a bit more of a modern context, but um,
1: yeah. So it's a so it's something that's been adapted. So yeah. just just to be to be make things really clear, what, yeah, what yeah, I'm taking totally. people on is not a traditional Lakota vision quest, or amblecha is the word that they use for their ceremony. It's something that was taught by my teachers in a community called Condor Clan here in Southern California that learned from another school of teachers called the School of Lost Borders, who was given the blessing of doing this work from a Lakota elder. Uh So through the lineage over the course of 30 decades, not three decades, 30 years, uh, that Wisdom has been transmitted and the process that we now call compass has been born from that So we take guys out for four days and four nights solo wilderness fast under the stars Um, We only ask the men to fast from food Traditional ways. It's usually food water and oftentimes sleep. I don't know what your experience was like But I know that's usually a big component is they tell you don't sleep for four days.
0: Yeah, we had we had food and water fast Um, sleep was allowed but uh you know it was encouraged to sort of like push that boundary as well push the
1: edge yeah for sure yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah awesome man that's amazing and i think it's beautiful to see an evolution an evolution in these traditional rites of passage you know because we're in a new world right like the world's changed we're changed people we have changed challenges everything's different so i think that adaptability is a really important piece um in our modern times you know for, for modern men right
1: yeah, I think, you know, the whole idea, I wasn't, I wasn't back there in more ancient times. So I haven't been able to talk to the ancestors that way, but
0: maybe you were from
1: what, I, from what I can, yeah, maybe I was, who knows, but what I can gather from it is that the, at the core of it, the purpose of this was to prepare a boy for the life of a man. Uh, and, and in order to do that, they had to put him through a challenge and, and remind him that life is, life was not is unforgiving. The world is unforgiving. It's, it's harsh at times. Nature can be really violent. And in order to be able to protect a family, a village, a community, it required that a man was capable of protecting and, and knowing what his limits were. So the most important piece of it, in my perspective, is bringing a man to his edge, to his limits, to the, to the point where he feels like he's on the brink or cusp of death. And... To find his way back from that
0: yeah totally so mm-hmm. totally and and that's that's really important too it's like the I think the first stage that you're talking about where it's the separation you know or the, the severing of something obviously has a lot of relation to uh, tattooing itself mm-hmm. which is why that's always been a, a an act that's been linked to initiatory experiences and rites of passage as well um but if we link those two, like the initiation and the rites of passage in those stages um like why are they doing that you know like why are they participating why are they beginning this process uh, and and i think the the third aspect that's super important is um for the community right and you talk about that a lot in your work too it's it's so you can serve the community you know, ultimately serving and understanding yourself, first and foremost, so you can serve that community, the, the kind of larger picture.
1: Yeah, and there's, a, and there's a lot of people and organizations out there that offer wilderness fasting, that offer different rites of passage and initiatory experiences. The, the, what I got from my teachers, uh, and I'll, I'll shout them out right now, Kent Pierce, uh, Sean Barry, two two men who have been anchors and cornerstones in my life, and what they got from their teachers is the importance of incorporation. That the whole idea, the reason that this model works and has worked for millennia for humans, is that the boys would go out, they would go through an ordeal, and they would return with a gift, with clarity on who they were and how to be a contributing member of their community. And then the community would witness them in their gift would give them a new name, would identify their specific role and contribution to the community and then hold them accountable to that because they all knew they watched him grow up. And now if you flash forward to our current modern existence, we don't have communities that raise children together. We don't have a village that's capable of watching and nurturing a boy into manhood with these traditional ways and then continuous incorporation support. So we make sure that that's embedded in the culture of what we're creating with rising man and with compass that initiated men come back to support the guys who are coming across because we all know the challenge of bringing a big gift and bring medicine back into a world that doesn't know how to receive an initiated man so that is that's really an essential core piece of what we do here is that if there's no community to give your gift to then there's no utility to the gift
0: yeah totally totally it's like you need to you need to come back to a community, like you said, that, that knows how to receive it. And one of the words I, I kind of used on the other side of the, the tattoo experience and where I feel community is important and kind of lacking in, in the tattoo space is the community needs to hold that person in the place that they're moved into, you know, to so, sort of avoid that backsliding that happens, mm. you know. Like there's so many experiences, like you said, there's other um, – fast nature fasting experiences or it's a lot of times you can get tattooed and you might see the process that you're going through who you were and and who you're moving into but if no one else is there to receive you on the other side of it and hold you then you got a lot of opportunity to backslide you know it's like the, the accountability piece is missing because you're only accountable to yourself then
1: right right and i mean this this opens up a much greater dialogue around culture, this modern culture, and Mm. how, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, a lot of people believe that there's a very deliberate, systematic process that they've done to um, make us forget who we are, where we come from, to, I mean, institutionalize racism and genocide, all of this stuff that has literally washed culture out in in just a few generations, even. I mean, we talk about the Western world, My, my ancestry comes from Japan and from Italy, and I don't speak either of those languages. Mm-hmm. My, my grandparents came here from Japan and they never, they never taught my dad and his, his brothers the language and therefore never made it this way to me. We eat some of the traditional foods, but aside from that, man, there's like a, a lot of tradition and legacy that got lost. And that's just the, that's the story of the migrant immigrant families that came from another place to live in the modern world, chasing the American or the Western dream of, an easier more safe more secure life but i don't think they at least I, I don't know but i don't think that they recognize the cost that they were paying for that
0: oh completely i don't think they they could see it you know because there's like there's that one one angle where it's like chasing the dream has caused a lot of the movement and the sort of degradation of culture but it was also like the the running from like the nightmare for some people too right like my grandparents came over from Slovenia in uh, 58 and they didn't teach Yugoslavian to like my father or my auntie or anything either, you know, mm-hmm. because of like the, the horrific things that were happening back where they were, they were just like wanting to start something fresh, you know? So the culture right. disappeared in, in that way as well. Um, but I and think that's it's important
1: to mention too, you yeah. know, that. I, I definitely don't know what all of our ancestors were, were doing, but I'm sure they were doing it because they wanted the best for their kids and the best future for their, totally. you know, for me, for you, for the future generations that I'm sure they were always operating off of what they thought was best at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Completely. Nobody
1: could have foreseen this this outcome happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I think like we have those two angles on the current um, situation too, right? It's like we're lacking all of these Um bits of culture and these traditions. But then there's that opportunity for like a, a a new one, you know, like this real sort of like unified space where, um, something's going to be born from it. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's going to be that new, uh, minimal, um, acceptable standard of like what it is to, to be an initiated, um, man or woman in this new world. You know, ultimately that's what we're working towards.
1: Yeah. And, I think it's infinitely more complex because as far as we know, I don't think there's ever been this many humans on the planet. And so it's, you know, we're, we're literally living on the cutting edge of a, a massive social experiment. What does it look like when there's eight billion humans with all these different belief systems, different colors, shapes, sizes, values, opportunities, all of those things to try to find any degree of universality to me is a pipe dream. And in fact, I think that's, it creates more division than anything else is people getting so attached to what's true and what they believe because that's what makes them feel safe that it creates all these other problems. It's the reason why we have war and conflict and political bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we we all want everybody to believe what we believe. (laughs) And and there's no way to do that with that many people on the planet.
0: Yeah, except accepting... (laughs) the right. difference, you know? I mean, yeah. do, you, you, you're you saying that it's a, a pipe dream. Is there any part of you that thinks it's uh potential?
1: Well, uh, you know, that, that, that to me is if we keep doing it the way we've been doing it, Yeah. you know, I, well, I would have, I would have given up a long time ago and I almost did, you know, that's kind of what set me off on the path of men's work was when I finally started seeing the real nature of the world, when I was in my early 20s and in my college years and starting to ask more questions, I studied social justice as a minor when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And I was just I saw some really dark and painful things. Traveled to some third world countries and saw how other people were living on this planet without me even knowing uh, you know, in my, uh, how privileged I was to be, to be growing up in middle class and you know, playing a bunch of sports and going to private schools and all that stuff. So uh, that's that's where I really started to sink into the hole because I saw all this darkness and I was in my early 20s, Don't have, didn't have any of the tools or resources that I do now. And I just felt like it was a bigger problem than I could handle. So I numbed myself with weed, tobacco, hanging out and having a good time. Oh, things. Yeah. You know, what I used to call radical idealism, thinking that You know, peace and love were just going to reign free and everybody was going to flip a switch and it was all just going to change overnight. And that continued not to happen. And I felt more and more pain until I decided to, that numbing myself from the pain wasn't working for me anymore. and I needed to go lean into it. And so, uh, so yeah, without going into that story too much, what I currently believe is that we do need to change. We need to change our approach. It starts with what you just said about radically accepting other people's truth but also being able to expect acceptance from other people when we share our truths and have respectful dialogues and discourse about our belief systems and come to mutual agreements to solve problems. I mean, we literally have all the technology in the world to solve every problem. We can, we can, we can resolve and even still reverse some of the global warming issues. We can clear all the plastic out of the ocean we can make a world where women feel safe and men feel free to express themselves, but we're spending too much time arguing over who the next fucking president is going to be.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, what would you say would be a, you know, a tangible tool someone could take away and implement in their daily life around, uh, struggling to accept opinions of others? Cause there are, there are a lot of people that are just quite righteous at the moment.
1: Yeah. Righteousness is is poison, in my opinion. And I've been a righteous man before with my own family. I remember when I first became woke, quote unquote, and I went back home and I told my mom and my dad all these things that they didn't know and why I knew better. And uh, I was not very humble at the time. And, you know, really the the, one of the tools, I guess, or things that I needed to lean more into was curiosity, expecting that there are things that I don't know. And being willing to have my truth change because I don't believe the same things now that I did when I was like five years old. I have completely new beliefs about the world. Some things continue to pass the smell test over the years, you know, and and I'm open to those things changing at some point too. So I think it's more a matter of being certain in what's true to me in this moment, but also having a curiosity and respect for what other people may present to me. Yeah. So any, I'm I'm willing to have a conversation with anybody and willing to hear you out and you could tell me anything. You could tell me that you're a white supremacist, pedophile and, and and I'll say, "Okay, well tell me why you think that that's a a useful co- contribution to society." And you know, by the end of it, there may be something that makes me think differently. You know, that's a very extreme example to give, but Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that level of, "Okay, I'll hear you out and and I won't judge you for it because" Who, who am I to say that my truth is better than yours? As long as you're willing to offer me the same uh,
0: kindness. The yeah. Same, you know. Curiosity and respect. I think that's a good one. Good combination there. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. So like uh, for yourself, you know, to lean into that other story, like what have been some of the initiatory experiences that have led you to walk this path, you know, from that 20 year old that was, you know, unaware and, and privileged and sort of traveled the world and, started to numb out. What happened on your path? Were there any major points?
1: Yeah, well, if I'm, if I'm reverting back to the definition of initiation that I gave, some of them that stand out were the first time that I sat in a sweat lodge when I was mm. 23. I uh, was visiting the, the Navajo reservation. They, they call themselves Dine, so the Dine, Dine. reservation, out there in New Mexico. Uh, that was one of them for me. The first time I sat in a men's circle... Feels like an initiation because especially the one that I sat in was guys that were twice my age when I was 25 years old. So that felt like an initiation. And then there's been a couple of men's retreats and workshops I've gone through that really felt like initiatory experiences where there were guys who'd been through it on the other side who were, you know, calling me and the other men into that space and welcoming us and celebrating. There's a there's that element to it that, that really feels like it, although and then also you know getting married and becoming a married man mm. and becoming a father, like you mentioned, I'll, you know fatherhood is like a private club <laughs> you know totally. and and you get in there it's it's a uh, you know you find out that there's a lot that other than other fathers can relate to just because they're they have that experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm interested in that little part of the passage there, you know, early twenties. Where, because where, I, sa- I was in the same boat, I was like, uh, you know, starting to numb myself to the world, you know, and then went into like sort of a woke phase as well, right? But there's this little point that I think is important to focus in on. And, and I know a lot of people that would be listening to this can find themselves in this place. It's like, how do you move from that part of, of the story where you, you are, you're aware of things, but you're numbing out? And then getting into something like your first sweat lodge, because they're worlds apart. There's like, there's like a flick that has to switch there where you go like, I don't want to do that anymore. And I want something that's going to give me more, you know. Mm. And all of a sudden these things that are almost misunderstood start to appeal to you, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think, I think a huge part of it is just divine timing. Uh, I I didn't go out looking for a sweat lodge it was I was out there um, I was on the reservation for three months I was finishing an internship as a physio because that's what I was studying at the time at the hospital on the reservation and I've always been involved in volunteering and community stuff since I was a kid so while I was out there I volunteered at the Boys and Girls Club and just relationships that I made with people who saw me and liked who I was invited me to different things and one of those guys said, "Hey, there's a there's a sweat lodge happening this week, and it's for men. Would you like to come?" And I said, "Sure, that sounds incredible, especially when someone you know, when they told me what it was about a little bit more of the the purpose behind it and what we're doing in there." So part of it is just divine timing, following your footsteps. You know, I, that's why I ended up on the reservation in the first place. I had just come out of a really really painful end to a relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was in that stage of my life, I would really get fully invested and attached to the girls that I was dating. And it was a really painful separation for me. Uh, not a lot of closure. And I just wanted to get away. I just wanted to get far away. So when the opportunity came up to go and travel and, and fulfill a requirement I had for my schooling, and also, you know, I was like, Ship Rock, New Mexico, Navajo Northern Navajo Medical Center, like, what is, what is this? Okay, sure, let's do it. It just... It sounded like an adventure, but there was something in my gut that felt right. There was like 175 other places I could have gone. And for some reason, the middle of nowhere in New Mexico was what I chose. And even just the drive, because I drove, I know, I know you're from, uh, from Australia, but I drove from essentially the East Coast to the Southwest, which was like almost a 2,500 mile journey by wow. myself. And I, I'd never been you know, further than a couple hundred miles away from where I lived at that, at that point in time in the States. So I, I drove all the way across the country. That that felt like a rite of passage in itself because it was very emotional. There's a lot of like you know, tears that came up while I was on the road. and
0: Totally, yeah, yeah. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, pilgrimage. How interesting is that? I love it. The divine timer. First lodge I got in was this, a similar thing. I was like other side of the world in Mexico and there for tattooing. Mm. And someone extended an invitation to get into a sweat lodge. And I was like, what's that? Like, it's like a sauna, but we pray. And I was like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) there you go. Like, it definitely was, uh, yeah, initiation that was unintended, you know, and took a bit of time to drop into afterwards.
1: Well, and and in those ways, you also, at least the, the lodges and the prayer communities I've been around, you don't just invite anybody off the street into those things. So if we go back to this idea of initiation, someone whoever invited you saw something in you they might have saw a piece of themselves in you i've seen guys in the sweat lodge and the prayer community bring one of their one of their bros who's been tweaking out on drugs you know who's just been yeah. completely lost and they bring them to that space because they used to be there and they say hey you know what this helped me come comes come pray in this space just, just just get your butt over here sometimes that's what initiation looks like too it's not always this going out and looking for it and asking somebody to guide you on it. Sometimes you just get pulled into it.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's super important to look at too. It's like, um, the other side of the, of the initiatory process, right? So it's like, you may be unaware that you're about to be initiated into something, but there are these like guiding hands on the other side, you know, and that might be, um, the kind of inbuilt roles and responsibilities that come with that, Uh, perspective of being initiated where it's like okay cool we're now looking out for other people within the community and because it's not an inbuilt thing with our communities now it's like we got to take it on upon ourselves to sort of usher in the next wave of of men or women or people you know that that could find healing or could find direction or guidance or grounding in these experiences and you know i think that's Mm -hmm. important to note right that when you go through it start, start doing your part and having your eyes peeled.
1: Right. And, and, you know, I think there's a bigger part of just trusting the process. I know, I know that's something that a lot of people say, but really just trusting that your life is unfolding exactly as it will. Uh, I used to believe I used to have a certain belief in destiny that our our entire life narrative was predetermined and, and set out for us. And I still believe a lot of that. But not in the not in the traditional sense of there's like a history book somewhere with my destiny that I could go read if I was like a, a deity or a god, right? I just think that the idea of destiny that your life is going to unfold however it's going to unfold and you have influence over how that unfolds by the choices you make the choices you make are exactly what needed to happen so that you could have your human experience. There's no right, there's no wrong. I don't think that there's inherently bad or good. There's just different versions of a human experience. And I just think that's really important to recognize that if you find yourself in a place where you're dark or it's a, you're, you feel alone, you don't know where to go, that you're just looking at how, how do you want your life to unfold? What, what, is, what is compelling you? to move forward in your life. Cause that's, that's what I needed when, when my life was like, you know, the the couple of moments in my life where I felt like there ain't no point of being around here anymore. Cause I think most of us have those. It was what what do I actually want from my life instead of waiting for something else to inform me from out here. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah, totally. Finding it yeah. within yourself, right?
1: Yeah. Which is not easy. That's why community is so useful. That's why men's circles are so useful because You don't feel so crazy when you look around and see a bunch of people nodding their head when you say, I don't want to be here. I don't know what my life's about. I really, really hurt from things that happened in my past and I don't know what to do with them. And a bunch of guys are saying, Yep, me too, bro.
0: That's okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Normalization of it.
0: It brings that acceptance piece back in. Sure. Super important. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I wanted to, uh, like, I wanted to loop around and get to your actual tattoos. Um, Yeah. We talked a little bit about it on your podcast. You know, we mm-hmm. talked a bit about your first one. Mm-hmm. So I just want to revisit it here a little bit for the people that are listening and haven't heard um, the episode we did on your podcast. So totally. the first thing I really liked is that you called uh, you called the tattooing experience like a, a bookmark, you know, mm. that was the analogy that you ended up pulling in in the chat that I really loved, you know, like just sort of turning the corner on a page in a book and all of your markings ended up being these, these different bookmarks through the process. And your first one uh, was before you turned 18. You know, you said your mum had yeah. to come along and sign and, and that it was quite a big event because it was the first time you made a, a choice about your body and what mattered to you and how empowering that was. Um, so, yeah, talk us, like, talk us through the first one and, and, you know, how many tattoos do you have? What's that sort of journey looked like for yourself? Um, and and yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Just to give you a, a number off the top of my head, I've got one, two, three, four, five. Five. I got five right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that first tattoo I got, yeah, I was 17 years old. It was on my 17th birthday. Uh, I, I'll, yeah, I'll never forget it because I I needed my mom to go and sign off. That's how it was in New Jersey, the state where I grew up and got my tattoo and my dad wasn't about it but my mom had a had a few tattoos so she was you know she was supportive of it she actually got a tattoo right after i did uh, that's <laughs> cool like, that's cool it was really cool yeah i mean she's got i mean she's got like four times as many tattoos as i do um, so it like you said it was that choice and i feel like it was an initiation for me not just into being a tattooed person but an initiation into the beginning of my adulthood cuz i definitely wasn't an adult after that it didn't make me this suddenly this mature man but it ushered me into the space of, oh, now I make decisions for myself. And mm-hmm. sometimes I make decisions that people won't agree with. And now I've got something that I wear on my body that reminds me of that. So that I, I thought, what's what's the phrase that you use? Because bookmarking is how I think about it. You had a word for it too. Yeah,
0: I, I use the uh, the term of like a link in a chain, you know, like right. a chain of memory. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's a very yeah. Similar-, so, similar. Yeah, exactly. The same Same concept. Uh, I can remember exactly where I was. I remember the guy who did my tattoo. I remember what it smelled like. You know, it's like, um, I wouldn't call it a trauma, but it's like other traumatic things that happen in life where you can just so vividly remember it because it makes an imprint on your brain. It just reminds me so clearly of that moment. So I can also remember the way my perspective on the world at that time. I remember I was dating my girlfriend that I thought I was going to marry at the age of 17, right? Yeah. And I remember (laughs) she went and got a tattoo there like a couple weeks later too. So it brings back all these memories of that time in my life and the way I thought life was going to go and what I thought life was even about. So different than where I am now. And that was 18, not eighteen, three, fifteen 15 years ago.
0: Yeah. How good is that, man? Like when you can see how far you've come. Because you have those reference points, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 same for all my other tattoos. You know, I remember I remember where, where I got it done. I remember what the studio looks like. Even though you go in there, you spend you know a couple hours, sometimes a half a day, and that's the only time I've ever been in those places <laughs> my whole life. But I can remember the what the building looks like. And I'm not the kind of person that takes in all details of things. That's not my yeah. printing or my way yeah. of making memories. But I can. I can remember the smell, I can remember what it looks like. I can remember what the person who did it looked like and what they were wearing. So it's it's an inter- interesting mechanism of creating strong memories and you know, like bookmarks, planting down flags totally. in our in our history.
0: Yeah, I mean when I hear you talking about like how significant the imprints are, it's like there's no like there's no second guessing why it's been part of ceremony and sacred pathways for so long you know absolutely like i'd love to hear a little bit about the um ceremony that you are approaching you said this the sundance last time we spoke was coming up and it got cancelled um but you're moving towards something that's similar in nature Um, and that's going to be something that leaves you with a marking as well you know or leaves participants within that community with a marking and if you think of the the psychological imprint, the memory imprint, you know, all your tattoos, the five tattoos, you can think of all these different places that these experiences happened. And, and I always think about like, well, for, for cultures that had tattooing as part of their, their ceremonial pathways, then all of those experiences would have this continuity that you get within, you know, a sacred container, you know, over time, yeah. even intergenerationally. You know
1: for sure, for sure, and and just before I start talking about the the sundance and piercing ceremonies, I was always really attracted to the symbolism, mm. so the conversation you and I had um, about I think record keeping was also what you said, right record yeah. keeping yeah. Was, was something that really stood out to me uh, that was a, that was a little bit of a new awareness for me because I was always interested in the symbolism of what it, what specifically was I getting on my body and what did it represent? Yeah. And so whether it's tattoos or it's, you know, intentional scarring there, they all carry meaning and symbolism to them that, that gives color to the story. So if it's, you know, if the tattoo or the mark itself is like a bookmark, then the, the context or the context of it is like the ink on the page, right? Yeah. What's written the color and the detail of it. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a reason I got the Japanese lettering that I got on my, on my shoulder here when I was 17, the words that I chose. And there's a reason that I've got these bear paw prints on my arm. You know, Mm -hmm. I've got one here to represent my wife and represent my son. And we'll, we'll put another one here for my little daughter soon. Um, so they, they all carry meaning to me and, you know, and where, where you put them on your body, right? I put this one here because I wanted to, I wanted them to be the first people that, I, and, and the first thing that I thought about when I started doing my work in the world, cause I always wanted to remember that it's for them and that doing things for them means I'm rippling that forward into my grandchildren, my great grandchildren and all the people that will come after me. So I wanted that reminder there.
0: Yeah. Know? That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah.
1: Then this one on this side, you know, this is this big old one that I've got here. It's a little bit precluded. There mm. is, uh, is this, is this um, Mayan artwork from the tomb of a Mayan king named Pacal. And, it was such a big statement for me to have a, have a big colorful tattoo on my forearm at the time I was 25 years old. And to, to have something like that was like, Hey, ain't no, ain't no taking that back. Yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no way I, this is me expressing myself and not being afraid to show who I am. Cause at that point I was still like, is the world going to accept me if I go all in?
0: Yeah, totally. So, totally. Pushing that boundary as well. Yeah. I mean the, the, the symbology is it's like, the personalized aspect of this thing that underneath, you know, at the core, all the markings are the same, but you get to add your, your layer of personal flair to it, which speaks so much to where the world's at. You know, the complexity of where the world's at, how much choice we have now, the diversity that's available now. You know, I talk about that with a lot of people where it's like trying to accept what it is. They're going to get tattooed. It's like, Mm -hmm. you've got a choice. Like, People didn't have choices. You go back ten thousand years; it's like you get this. That's it, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, it's a whole other conversation, a whole other podcast episode, right there, is how the addiction to variety and choice. Is, yeah, is, yeah, It comes with some major consequences,
0: you know. Yeah, well, let's let's look at the the piercing um the ceremony funny. you got coming up because that's something where you know you have to move into a space or whoever's receiving piercing moves into a space of acceptance, uh, to receive a marking and, and step into a, a ceremony and give an offering. And, you know, that layer of choice is definitely removed from that. You know, there's just the choice to participate.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for, for people who don't know, um, the Sundance is a traditional ceremony of the Lakota, uh, who were, um, Plains natives here in the Americas. Then this is one of their most sacred ceremonies. It's something that's been shared with other tribes and other other cultures now. So we have we have sun dances all over the world, but the original ones were first here on, uh, on the plains in the Americas. And I am not a sun dancer. I've only been a supporter up to this point. My uncle is a sun dancer. My brother and my best friend in the world is a sun dancer. And I, I've come to know many others from going out and supporting for the past few years. So. I definitely don't consider myself an expert in speaking on the mm-hmm. topic, but I told you I would speak on what I do believe I know and what I understand from my teachers. Yeah, appreciate it. that. So going back to the sweat lodge or the Anipi ceremony, of, like you said, the, the sauna with prayer—you know—it's kind of like a real simple way of oversimplified way of describing it. Definitely uh, is. It's basically the context. There is. It's the first ceremony as I was taught, and it's the first of the Lakota rites. They have seven, and it's re-entering the womb. And going into the womb, because you know the, the, the sweat lodge is just this tiny little tent that you can't you can't stand up and you can just crawl in and kind of sit cross-legged and have your head hit the ceiling. And you sweat and it's hot and there's water in there and there's like steam. And then you emerge from the Anipi and you're cleansed and purified and the, the, the context is being born again and re-emerging out of the womb. So after coming out of the womb... You, when you're a baby, you've got an umbilical cord, and so the Sundance is four days of fasting from food and water and praying. With there's a, there's a central tree that the dancers dance around, and some dancers they pierce through uh, they pierce through different parts of the body, right? Sometimes it's the the chest, through the
0: arms, um, okay,
1: back, different places. Yeah, I thought it was um, only on
0: the chest, right?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's usually the place that they, they start, but people who've been dancing for a long time and have had different visions inform, you know, the, the dance that they have. Cause the dance, the sun, the sun dance, each person's dance is their prayer. So, you know, if you have a dream about hanging from your back, then, you know, they're like, all right, let's do it.
0: Wow. That's, that's honoring the dream. Wow. That's fascinating. Uh, again,
1: I, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm not the expert, but yep, that's what yep. I've understood. And so, the this the way i was taught is that you come out of the sweat lodge because every every day when the dancers go out they they sweat in the morning and then they dance all day and then they sweat at night when they finish and then they come out maybe do three, they do four days of that so they're coming out of the womb and then they're attaching themselves they're piercing here through their skin and attaching themselves with a rope to the tree and the tree is the mother and then at some point um, whether it's you know on the second, the third, or the fourth day for some of some of the dancers, they break from the tree and and tear the flesh, and then that flesh is given as an offering back to the tree, back to the earth as a symbolic as a symbolic gesture of prayer for the people. You know, because in, in indigenous culture, there's there's reciprocity is one of the most important elements. That, Give and take. Always a given and a receive, right? Yeah. yeah. So. The offering of flesh, specifically the offering of flesh, is important because, and, and originally only men would sun dance because women, they give offerings of their flesh and blood every month when they, when they have their first period. Men don't have that. So this was our way of, of giving flesh back to the earth. And the way I was taught is that flesh is really the only thing that we have to give. Everything else is something that's borrowed. Like if you give somebody a bottle of water that's water that you're borrowing from the planet and, and uh. you're passing it along, but it's not really yours. So the only thing we, that we really, and even our bodies are not technically our own. We're of the earth, but we can choose to give our flesh back to the earth and make that flesh offering. So I've done that. Uh, the, the, cause not, not the piercing part, but for supporters, they also allow you to give tiny offerings of flesh at different parts of the ceremony. So, you know, cutting off a little piece of your skin and and folding it up and giving it to the, to the tree. It's really powerful, man. That that whole teaching about having something to give back. And the only thing that we actually have to give back, it put a lot in perspective for me about life and about the world and about what I do. Totally.
0: I hadn't heard those parts of the story before of the teaching Mm -hmm. before about, Mm -hmm. you know, flesh being the only thing we have and, um, that, everything else is borrowed and I think that is just super insightful yeah yeah
1: and even that our bodies are borrowed you know we get to inhabit them and and if because if here's the thing the beautiful thing about traditional wisdom that I love is if you really embody and embrace that and that's something that's been handed down from one grandfather to grandson to the next grandson to the next grandson you've got that appreciation that your life is really not your yours your body and your life is really not yours. It's all borrowed. And would, would you treat your body the way that you treat your body if it wasn't really yours? You know, if, you, if your friend lets you borrow one of their most precious items, you know, do you manhandle it and and knock it around and stuff it under your bed? You No, you know, we, we, I think it's because we think we own our bodies, we feel entitled to treat them however we want, but looking at them as, as a gift. Like it's, it's, it's not like you bought a car, it's you leased it. You got to give it back someday. So you got to take good care of it. You got to keep it clean. You got to put good fuel in it and not, not run it to the core. Uh, yeah. And it, totally. That's made a huge impact on my life.
0: Totally. I mean, I think about when you're saying like, would you, would you treat your body the way you do If you knew it was borrowed, right. From a friend. And it's like, well, a boy might, <laughs> you know, looping back sure. to our, the start of this, a boy might, but a man wouldn't. You know, especially once he sees all of the people on the other side that are, are holding themselves and and you know caring for themselves in that way, caring for the planet and have that view, but you have to be initiated into it. You know, Both, that's man. the thing; you have them. to be guided into that perspective. Uh, so, yeah, what a you be- have to
1: have access to that wisdom too. You know, oh, that's but. that's the other thing is, and that's why I think it's so important. You know, I was just doing a podcast the other day, and we were talking about. Uh, cultural appropriation versus mm. the cultural appreciation, and you know I, I'm not native blood, I'm not native born, uh, at least not in the in the way that most people understand. And the the key to all of, understanding all of this is that we are all of one common ancestor, and that all of these medicines and teachings and practices were designed to help us remember that, to remember everything we just talked about that we're a part of this planet, that we're not separate, that we don't have Special rights and privileges because we're humans that all life is sacred and When when we all look at life through that perspective and we all be, We believe it and live it and teach it then all the other problems go away, man We don't throw you don't you don't throw your plastic bottle in the ocean after that You know, that's your that's your home that's oh, your Relative man,
0: man that, I think that is a beautiful uh, Insight to finish on Mm. thank you for sharing that i think we reached a really nice point there for people to to sit and brew and contemplate whatever they're doing after they listen to this chat so thank you so much for going there with me and with everyone um Mm. just quickly you know a few minutes before we wrap up so you can get to your next appointment do you want to just like fill people in on Uh, where to find you, what offerings you have available and coming up, you know, how can someone action stepping into these things we're talking about right now, if they need to, what's there available to them on your end?
1: Thank you, man. And really appreciate you having me on here. I really enjoyed this conversation and just your energy and your vibe, what you're doing. Um, For me, I, I always say, go, go check out risingman.org. Uh, the Rising Man is the movement the, that I've started that is gathering momentum. It's, it's worldwide. We've got a huge presence in Australia and the U.S. and many other countries. So check out what we're doing there. Check out the podcast, the Rising Man podcast. You can go to my personal Instagram, at Jedi Azuma, or the at Rising Man movement for the Rising Man Instagram. And that should lead you to just about whatever you want to find. But I also say send me some direct messages cause I love talking to people, having real conversations. Um, I'm an accessible dude. I, am not, you know, I'm not somewhere out in space that you can't reach. I, I love hearing from people. So hit me up.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks mate. Appreciate that. And yeah, I highly recommend everyone check it out. Um, I know a couple of men here that you've been working with or we've both been working with, you know, so it's cool seeing the, the different layers of that work sort of cross over. It's been great. And, um, Yeah, man, I'm I'm keen to have some more chats down the line, so we'll just stay in touch with each other, and I wish you all the best with the the piercing ceremony coming up. Thank you, bro.
1: Yeah, I love. We'll we'll put a bookmark in this episode and pick it up next time. Yeah, I could just say one more thing for everybody who's listening. Please, please support this brother. You know, I've I've been doing the podcast game for two and a half years, and to it's truly a labor of love to capture these conversations and make them available for other people. You know, this is something that. You do because you love it, because you really care and you want people to have new perspectives. So if you're listening, support this man, spread the word, tell 20 of your friends about this episode and what he's doing here and anything you can do to get behind him, do it because that's what allows us to keep doing what we do.
0: Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. thank you everyone for listening thank you for your openness for your energy and your attention and for allowing these conversations to enter into your mind your psyche to go through your beautiful human filtration system and for ultimately playing your part in this collective experience moving towards a beautiful future if you do want to get involved in the tattoo community head to tattoopathway.com, pathway.com t-a-t-u pathway.com you can see any of my tattoo work listen to the other podcasts uh, get in contact with me and find information on the seven principles of tattoo philosophy course on my website which is themarkofnara.com the next round of that course starts September 27th and we'll run for 10 weeks and i look forward to hearing all of you when you reach out please share this podcast with people that you think will find it useful and interesting and have a good day